Hi, welcome to People. As we've mentioned before, the pandemic has many of us taking an inner inventory of the voids created by our pre-COVID lifestyles. We sleepily substituted quality time with friends and family with detached and frenetic scrolling on our screens. Similarly, we traded meaningful human connections for networking contacts and status-driven flings. And perhaps most importantly, we'd become entirely detached from the means of production that sustain us. The grotesque reality of the modern Western metropolitan life was, and still is, our alienation from where our food comes from. And our guest today, Gary Pillarchik, is among the voices urging us to start from our food sources, and from there, work our way back to a sustainable life. I discovered Gary several years ago through his prominent gardening YouTube channel, The Rusted Garden. There, he walks the viewer through the entire process of building a productive garden in his or her own backyard. His seed starting videos are especially useful, providing an expert's advice on soil chemistry, lighting, containers, and much more. From there, he guides you through planning and maintaining a garden of your own with plenty of inspiration from his two-acre Maryland homestead, where he lives with his wife in a farmhouse built in 1867. On his website, therustedgarden.com, he sells seeds, gardening equipment, real neem oil, and more, and I'd encourage you to check it out. But Gary's background in mental health therapy and his belief in our need to return to our human roots are the main topics of this episode. His new book, The Modern Homestead Garden, Growing Self-Sufficiency in Any Size Backyard, dispels the myth that one needs to go entirely off-grid and move to a rural farm to achieve a productive home garden. We discuss how virtually anyone can get started, regardless of their living situation, and how mentally and physically restorative having your own garden can really be. We loved this conversation with Gary and look forward to following his journey as he expands the reach of his channel to topics like yoga and mindfulness. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Gary Pillarchik. We were just wanting to um, kind of get a um, sort of a, a, a biographical sketch of, of you and how you got into doing what you do, you know, on the Rusted Garden. So we were hoping you could maybe cue in our listeners um, in on a little bit of, about who you are and, and why you're so passionate about doing what you do and, and kind of maybe what instilled a love for gardening, a love for, you know, um, sustainability, a love for, for insects, plant life, uh, vegetables, all things. Well, uh, the, you want the short version or the long version? It, it, um, we're just living in it. <laughs> all right. So I actually have a book that just came out on Amazon. Um, oh. It's called The Modern Homestead Garden. So that's kind of the end. That's where I've kind of come through YouTube videos and kind of building what I want to be is a modern homestead so that people can have that in their own yard at whatever size it is. Mm -hmm. But the book actually starts with a story about my grandfather and I have this up on my Facebook page. I learned about gardening somewhere around first grade, second grade. Um, I was in the early seventies uh, and he would come with a bag full of paper bag of tomatoes in the six pack cell, a blue Maxwell house can of coffee and a thing of lime. And he would dig the hole. He would show me how to plant the tomatoes. And he was pretty straightforward with, you know, you just got to get in the ground. You just got to get it growing, you know, space it something like this, you know, don't worry about that. And that stayed with me, you know, up until today to the point, you know, I've been doing what I'm doing. Um, 
somewhere in you know second third grade um for a science fair i did a whole thing on gardening mm-hmm. and none of my friends really understood it it was just pictures of dirt and stuff like that but <laughs> that's where the passion started and then it kind of faded out and came back when uh i got married had kids and you know had a little bit of land and i started small and now i'm on two acres now i've kind of upsized as i got older and my kids have moved out Right. Um, yeah. One of the things that I'm, I definitely want to get into um, homesteading and how that's especially relevant uh, in this day and age with the pandemic, bringing people back to their roots and wanting to make the home a center of production again, right. which is pretty exciting. But um, one of the things that I wanted to ask with, with respect to getting started gardening, I am, you know, much older than, you know, I'm, I, we're both in our mid twenties, but we got, very interested in gardening. And I'll um, tell you that I got interested in gardening through watching your videos over the course of maybe two or three years. And it took me about two or three years to build up the courage to get out in the garden and just get my hands dirty. Um, even though I had conceptually, I had learned from you basically the dynamics of seed starting and all that kind of stuff. Right. So if, you know, if some of our listeners were like me and had, you know, some anxiety from, you know, intellectually understanding gardening to actually getting out there, uh, do you have any recommendations or advice to those types of people? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things I say, a garden wants to grow, so you can fail, but also get still a lot of production. And the best way to learn is really to start with something small, a five-gallon container, a couple of those, a four-by-foot, four-foot uh, square plot, and just kind of grow what you like. Maybe pick up a tomato plant, a pepper plant, grow some basil, uh, once you get started, you're going to kind of feel, Hey, I can do this. And then your confidence builds, and then you can start building to something bigger or more elaborate. Um, it's not so much, it's not as complicated as we can kind of make it, you know, even some of my older videos, I, I kind of, kind of laugh that I was playing mad scientists and saying, you know, add a little bit of this and add a little bit of that. And the bottom line is if you, you've got sunlight, earth, basic fertilizer, water, and enough time to just go out and check on them, you can have a, a really successful garden. And you can start in containers, small space, you know, grow to something bigger if you want to. You, you know, you, you kind of touched on the, the, this idea right there. Um, this is something we were wanting to, to, to kind of talk about and, and get your thoughts on. This idea of, you know, of productivity and, and gardening. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's often been said that gardening is kind of a contemplative exercise, right? whereby, you know, you, you really, there, there's a sense of, of waiting, uh, waiting for payoff. And there's a sense of constantly cultivating. We live more or less in a, in a, in a culture that's increasingly interested in instant gratification. Things are typically a Google search away. Right. Like, do you, do you think that gardening in some sense is a practice that can cultivate patience within one's own life? Uh, and right. that can kind of perhaps inform or correct areas in, in, one's own life that are kind of run, run amok due to the kind of constant information age that we live in? So, yes, I think so. And I think it does a lot of things. There's a big mental health component to mm. growing vegetables or going out, you know, into your yard and tending to your yard. But, you know, vegetables, fruits, that's the kind of stuff that I do. And prior, I mean, this YouTube and the garden videos is really kind of like my second job. For 20 years, I was a mental health therapist. I actually just retired in June, so I'm doing this full time now. There's a little bit of what you're talking about 
is it does teach you a little bit about patience, but it also is very rewarding because you see it grow in different stages. And there's benefit to going out to a place that just say is weedy, you clear it out, now you have brown earth. And you can look back and you can see how your work accomplishes something. For instance, you get the bed ready. And then the next time you plant the seeds and two weeks later, you got sprouts that are really green. Mm. There's a, there's a sense that that I think not only gives you patience, but it's very rewarding and it's a lot more rewarding than I think people think that it's not so much instant. For instance, a lot of our jobs, we get up, we go, whatever, nine to five. We don't really know how our work's impacting others or what our work is. It's always kind of like doing the same thing over and over again. With gardening, you actually see your hard work pay off when you're done or a week later or two weeks later or a month later. So you're always getting that feedback of, of some sort of success, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's definitely something that I've noticed personally. And, um, you know, on the, on the mental health part, or at least on the perception of, of the passage of time idea, you know, I think a lot of us are extremely anxious about the passage of time and feeling, oh, I have to get this amount of tasks done by X date and we're very goal oriented. So every day that passes becomes an anxious thing. And without, you know, playing armchair therapist or asking you to be my therapist, <laughs> that's definitely something that I've struggled with. And I just noticed out in the garden that uh, I realized that the passage of time is actually something to look forward to. And that was one of the first times in years that I had felt that way. Is this something that you've thought about or maybe, you know, brought it up to some of your patients over the years? Yeah, I don't. So the, the I, I would bright, uh, brought it up with my patient, but I kind of kept what I did separate with them because I work with them, work with them as, as their therapist. So they didn't know a whole lot, but it's something that I'm incorporating into videos now for people to kind of look at and use as they find them. I have a couple videos on mindfulness and it works two different ways is one, just like you described, but also getting lost in the task that you're doing, for instance, you know, you feel the earth, you smell the plants, you hear the insects, um, you're looking at things, and you lose track of time. It could be an hour that goes by, and you're just fully involved with all your senses in that task, and that's a benefit to anxiety, too. Um, the thing with anxiety is it's like if you're, if you're always running this race, let's just say, and you know where the end is, but when you get there, you just reset the flags and you keep running and then you get there and you reset the flags. You have to do something to know when you've arrived or it's just this perpetual anxiety that keeps you going and going and going. And I think the garden gives you that break to kind of get involved with what is present, gets you present, gets you focused on the moment. And it, I think it's a little bit free. Do you ever find yourself with a sense of increased clarity, a sense of increased um, awareness of who you are and perhaps what you need to be doing? Um, having given yourself to gardening? Yeah, well, so the difference, a little bit of difference, yes, to answer your question. Sure. Um, I'm 53, so I've kind of, kind, of, kind of gone through kind of what you guys are going through with our society <laughs> and with the demands. So I've kind of come out to the other end and everything you're experiencing and, and kind of trying to figure out, I'm towards the end where it's like, I wanted to retire at 53, I wanted to spend time in the garden because it is just relaxing. Um, and it does give you that sense of balance that no matter what problem you got going on, your plants still need you to go out and tend to them. 
Um, if you're not tending, you can walk around and you can weed, you can listen to the insects, you can smell the different fragrances. It just takes you to a different place. Part of what our society does is, is there's a tremendous amount of pressure for us to do well in school, which is a good thing, but before you even finish high school, you got to figure out what college you're going to. And then before you even know what you enjoy, you got to figure out what career you want. And then before you finish college, you have to have a job lined up. And then once you have a job lined up, you have to be making X amount of dollars because you got to buy a car and a house. Those things aren't bad, but you can get so lost in them, you lose the things that have been around for a million years with human beings. And that's kind of working the land, being self-sufficient, you know, having a garden that feeds you in part, not replacing, you know, the grocery stores. And it's that balance that I think we've lost to society. I mean, I think the U.S., the America is the best place to be, but we still lost, I think, that balance sure. with the pressure that's on all of us to just keep achieving. Yeah, just on a very high level, uh, we're talking a lot about mindfulness at the, at the onset of this thing um, and, and just the psychological benefits and how gardening plays into that. Um, do you have any interest, uh, generally speaking, on expanding the discussion on mindfulness? I, I remember when you initially came out with those videos, I kind of had figured based on your approach that that was something that you were interested in, uh, but had never really brought it up explicitly. Do you think this is something that you'll do more and more of over the years and maybe even into explicit, you know, ideas that you explored and, and, and imparted in your therapy career? So, uh... Most likely. What I'm trying to do is figure out how to do it. I actually have two YouTube channels, so I may move the mindfulness over to my other garden channel and do more of a kind of regular series. I have a friend who does yoga. She might get involved um, with related to combining that with gardening, but just the whole concept of really wellness, not so much specifically mindfulness, mm. but really you know, doing the things that make you healthier or make your mental health better, you know. Um, it's as important to take care of your mental health as it is, it is to get your vaccines and checkups and all that kind of stuff. So I hope to get there. Um, you know, this year was that push. I think I have maybe three videos. Um, what I don't want to do is they all, I don't want them all to be the same. So I've got to figure out the right topics to build into the mindfulness videos and figure out how to do that too. Um, but they should be coming out, you know, next year, I think pretty regularly. Okay. That's, that's very cool. I'll definitely, we'll definitely share those and, and hype those up to, <laughs> to our audience as much as possible. I appreciate um, it. I want to talk a little bit about homesteading, actually a lot about homesteading, uh, even though my knowledge base is, is extremely limited. Um, I wanted to ask you, and this is stuff that you have covered, but you know, I'm keeping in mind that our listeners haven't heard uh, your thoughts on this. So, sure. um, you know, are, have there been any surprises in, in transitioning from a more metropolitan area to a, um, a, a rural area and basically fending for yourself more so in, in a number of ways? Have there been any surprises? And can you talk a little bit about the feasibility of homesteading for maybe the average person? And if you want to split those up, we can absolutely do that too. Sure, but I actually work. So, you know, um, the book that I selected and worked on is called The Modern Homestead Garden. And it's really to take away that myth that you, and I know you didn't say it exactly this way, that you have to go off grid, you have to go, you know, somewhere rural, you need a dozen acres, 
you've got to start doing everything yourself. That's the old homestead because that's what people had to do. Now you can transition it to more of a modern framework where you're using your space, maybe you only have a deck, so that you can start small and start learning the skills um, for gardening. But you can take whatever space you have and you can start with tomatoes and peppers, or you can start with herbs, you can add a fruit tree, you can get rid of your um, kind of landscape plants instead of ground cover, use strawberry plants, instead of bushes, use blueberry bushes. You can start incorporating kind of the homestead feel into wherever you're at. And then, you know, as you get more property, you can, you can get bigger. Um, I found the biggest surprise that we moved not too far from where I lived and it was more suburbia, um, but we moved out only 11 miles away to farmland and I have two acres. And what I found was it is a lot of work. Um, but if you kind of set up a routine, you get a nice structure, you get a nice flow and it's really, really manageable you know, if you proceed, you know, to, at, at your own pace. Mm. You kind of speak about, you know, that, that transition, the you moving, I mean, obviously, you know, only 11 miles, it's not too far away. Right. But, you know, was that, was it kind of like a retirement ambition to say, well, I would like to have a little more land. I mean, you, you have a beautiful, is it 150 years old, your home? Yeah, it's from 1867. So the farmhouse was the original farmhouse that oversaw hundreds of acres and then, you know, homes popped up around it. And then I have two acres and I actually wanted more. And, uh, you know, my wife wanted to stay a little bit closer to our friends. So this was sort of a compromise. So you always start with the wife. Everyone's got to be happy. Um, but the two acres is perfect. But I mean, I think you just have to keep in mind is the amount of work that it takes to manage. And two acres was a good size. I wanted to kind of sort of upsize that I could go out into the garden and do that and, you know, hopefully retire. And it, it kind of worked out for me. I'm very lucky and very grateful for it. Just to segue a little bit into the, the current events, it's, it's, it's hard to ignore that the pandemic is affecting all of us, obviously. And the, I, I saw you mention victory gardens in one of your videos, at least one of them. And this, there's just this increased interest. I mean, uh, well, a couple of things. I mean, the interest in gardening is really kind of sparked, um, you know, since the pandemic hit. Um, mm. And a lot of people sort of were in panic and, you know, sending me questions and thinking we were going to lose our food supply. Um, and I'm glad we didn't. And I don't think we're going to do that. But what people, I think, are realizing is they never knew that they could garden. And they never knew how to garden. And um, I think they're discovering a hobby that's going to stay with them. And that's part of what I've been doing this year is trying to make as many videos to help demystify gardening so people can get started um, and start feeling like they have some control. Because the biggest thing is when, you know, you've got this crazy pandemic is life feels out of control. Like what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Kind of going back to the anxiety we're talking about and growing vegetables, getting stuff that you can use, things that you can feed your family is I think a healthy way to kind of, deal with with all of this touching on that idea of, of food sourcing um i mean it's, it's not often enough been said that eating is itself kind of an agricultural act we seemingly are are ever distant from you know where where our vegetables are being sourced from you know uh if you're eating meat where your meat's being sourced from what, what was it like when you started to kind of uh rekindle that interest in gardening right so i mean it's very satisfying and 
I agree with you that we've just kind of grown up that the community butcher, um, the community garden have kind of been taken away to bigger stores and stuff like that, where we just started working and then we go out and buy stuff. Um, what I like the most is I actually wake up, have my coffee, walk through the garden, pick the stuff that I'm going to have for lunch and for dinner. Um, I know if I sprayed anything on it, I know if it's clean, I know the history behind it. Um, I enjoy sharing it with people. Um, you know, I grow more than I need. So I have people come over pretty regularly and let them walk through the garden and pick stuff. Um, and it's just a nice activity um, to really be able to prepare what you grow. And I don't have to get in a car and drive eight miles to a grocery store. You know, there's a lot I could talk about with food and where does it come from. Um, but it's really best grown in your yard or, you know, locally where, you know, the farmers that are growing it. With respect to the uh, localizing your your consumption, not a passion of mine, but recently during the pandemic, I had a I had a good friend of mine who was who lost her job and was struggling to you know, pay her rent. And then a local farm delivery service was one of the only people still hiring. And then I just realized in basically every, you know, major uh, metropolitan area, there's access to kind of getting vegetables delivered to your door weekly. So do you have any affiliations or uh, thoughts on those types of services? Yeah, I'm not affiliated with any any of them, but I think they're wonderful. And again, it's like you're saying is we the, the chain went out so far. When a chain breaks, we kind of search like what's going on. And this has just been an opportunity for that delivery of, of local produce and stuff like that, which I really believe people are going to love and enjoy and be like, where has this been? And they're going to stick with it. Um, I think we have decades, 10, 20, 50 years of always being pushed through commercialism to go out and buy our stuff and go to different places to get a can of this or a bag of this or whatever you want it. Um, but this whole idea of having eggs, milk, vegetables, that's an old idea that seems novel and new now, but that's an old idea that's been you know, used a hundred years ago. Um, it was quite successful. We both live in, in, a, in a pretty big city and and one thing that you know I've noticed um, that I that I think is kind of peculiar is the farm to table restaurant. Not to of course denigrate people that are wanting to get access to fresh ingredients uh, and so on and so forth, but it is strange that that fresh vegetables, fresh produce, is has almost become a novelty. Yeah, and I think those you know I think they're wonderful. Um, you know I like I said I'm older. I'm a little. Uh, more, uh, I don't know what's the right word, maybe jaded or suspicious of commercialism and how they really guide us to do what they want us to do. Um, the true farm to table restaurants are wonderful ideas. And when they're actually growing it, or they're working with somebody local, you know, as long as they're not just soup du jour, I think it's a great idea. But what's caught on is, is people, just the people consuming that product, love the idea of having the fresh vegetables. And the restaurants are a good place to go. They're, you know, legit. Um, but being able to do that yourself and pull the, the crops from your yard, invite people over. Um, if you're able to connect with other people that are growing stuff, like for instance, if you're a space, you can only grow, let's just say tomatoes because you don't have a lot of room, but somebody else is able to grow, you know, X, Y, and Z is to meet up and kind of do that, you know, as a group. I think we get disconnected as a group too. Everybody eats alone or everybody needs their own place or you have to have your own apartment. Um, and we start losing the meal times and the prep times. On the bright side, which 
I, I try to focus on and, and I think most people try to focus on uh, is ever elusive. <laughs> no. But uh, people are more interested in this holistic uh, mind and body uh, lifestyle. Uh, I, I remember uh, living in living in DC a few years ago and there was just this explosion of um, commercial yoga. I don't know exactly how, how you would how you would call it, but I remember I would have my friends would say they were very surprised that this was such a fast growing trend. And all I could think of, well, at least people are interested in the, the mind body, uh, uh, holistic, uh, trend and, and, and becoming healthier. I think that's a progression too. the whole mind body and the connection is, is really so important. And sometimes, you know, a good idea might get a little bit commercialized or it just shows up everywhere. But the idea of, of yoga and the idea of the garden and the idea of, you know, taking breaks for your own mental health, those things are old. They've been around for a long time. And I think as a society, we're moving back towards them because so many people didn't know they existed or so many people never got to really experience it. And we're going into, I think, a better place as a culture, um, you know, and I think it's kind of exciting, you know, that it's not going to just be you wake up, you work, you make money, you go home and you repeat the next day. There's a lot more to life than just that aspect of it. You need it, but there's a better balance out there. And I think we're discovering it as a culture. You touched on this kind of communalism, you know, and in some sense, a loss of, of, you know, the meal as kind of, you know, not only in just prepping, but also just sitting down and being present and being present with the food that you've perhaps cultivated yourself. You also talked about your interest in gardening going back to your grandfather. And, and you also mentioned that you, you have a family yourself. Have your practices of homesteading, gardening, have, have, that, have they influenced your children or any of your extended family? So, the, yeah, I mean, the, the bigger garden came. They're 20 years old, 20 plus years old now, so they've moved out. But I've built gardens with them on their property. So that's sticking with them. And when they were younger, mm -hmm. they used to help me in the garden. Um, you know, it's a bit of a shock to know that a lot of our kids, maybe older people too, don't know where radish grows, you know, don't necessarily know um, what pole beans look like, and just didn't have the opportunity to see where everything you see at a grocery store sitting on a shelf actually comes from. They don't know the difference between cool weather plants and warm weather plants. Um, and my kids got to learn that, so I was very happy about that. And I, I think that bug is now sitting with them. And I actually believe, you know, when they get more land or they figure out, you know, where they're going to settle, actually, most likely, is they'll start to have gardens for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that especially for the higher tech jobs that a lot of younger folks are getting into, it. The, the, the remote work, which has been uh, expanded rapidly since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, has enabled folks to consider maybe moving a little bit out of town and maybe the land's cheaper there. Maybe they have access to, um, to, to, to the sunlight and the soil that they need as opposed to, you know, uh, the, the, the city landscape. Do you, this is something that is extremely promising to me. Is this something that you've considered? Yeah, I think that's really exciting. And I think um, I, I think that's going to be a permanent thing. I mean, some of the things that are interesting with technology is like uh, telemedicine is a good example, kind of like what you're talking about, is nobody wanted to talk with their doctor through Zoom or on video. It's like, I need to go and see the doctor. Well, this pandemic has pushed people to a different place where people are going to love to talk to the doctor now 
on videos that they don't have to go in. And I think people are gonna be able to move out of the city and do exactly what you said, is find a small space, have sunlight, have you know earth, and then they can start planting. And they can start incorporating work around a healthy lifestyle rather than trying to fit a healthy lifestyle around work, if that makes sense. And I think we're going in a good direction. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that just the way that America is laid out and without kind of careening into the political, it's just there are the coasts that are extremely densely populated and then there's the breadbasket. Um, it, it would be really interesting if, if, if people who do work in technology or do work in medicine and in the modern industries that are, that are innovating and developing uh, were able to have a little bit more of a direct stake and experience and maybe like di diversify the population. Maybe, there, maybe there's a technologist who works nominally in California but lives in Idaho and has, has, has a farm. I, like, I, th I think that would be also good for just kind of unity overall. I think we're getting there. Yeah, I, I think we are definitely going in that direction. And, you know, if anything good comes out of all of this awfulness, I think the lifestyle change for not only the U.S., but I get to talk with people from all around the globe through my YouTube channel. Um, I think the same thing is happening in other places, too. Um, gardening is a global hobby, a global activity. And people are just as passionate about their container tomato plant as we are you know, over in India or somewhere else. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I have a, I have a kind of a funny story about, uh, one of my, one of my colleagues had, a, had a friend, uh, from India basically smuggle some seeds through customs and because they, because they had claimed that, you know, the mangoes from India are 10 times tastier. And, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that, but it was just, they were growing Indian mangoes in their backyard. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of sketchy, but whatever works for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, think of it this way too, is, you know, the mango, maybe not, you know, the most uh, uncommon fruit, but it was to America. We're going to get to experience different vegetables and fruits, I think, from around the world that hopefully don't have to be smuggled in. But that's part of what we can do when you seed start, is you can get just about anything you want and try all kinds of different new things. Part of going to the grocery store, part about kind of commercialism is, is we're just thrown the same basic thing. When you walk into a grocery store, they're getting better at, at being more creative because people are demanding it. But when you have a garden, you can grow whatever you want. You can eat things that you've never heard of before um, or you're not gonna find at a grocery store. Yeah. You know, this this kind of segues well because um, you sell some some seeds seeds of your own. You like you, you sell things that you know are found in your backyard. Um, when did you decide that you kind of wanted to share? I mean, you you talked earlier about you know sharing people letting letting friends and and members of your community walk through and and pick out some veggies and so on. But when did you start selling seeds and and other um, rusted garden memorabilia? So the seed shop, well, the YouTube channel is probably from 2011. And then I started a blog a couple of years before that. And then I think maybe we're in the third year of the seed shop. And I actually started it because I wanted to sell neem oil, um, the neem oil for uh, spring insects and stuff like that, because I found that it was really effective against chewing insects. And when I would go into like Home Depot or Lowe's, you saw these products that would say neem oil. But when you read them, it said hydrophobic extract of neem, which means they took out all the good stuff, 
So it didn't do anything. And I'm like, all right, well, how do I get it? So I figured out how to order it in quantity. And that's how I started just selling neem oil um, on my blog, just on the side column, you know, back then. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Why don't I start with some seeds? And then I added in some seeds. And it kind of just grew into, you know, what I sell on Shopify now. But I try and sell the seed starting supplies, the seeds, and just basic treatments to help your garden, you know, deal with insects and problems and you know, we'll see where it goes a year from now. But, you know, it's nice to be able to, you know, kind of sell what I'm growing in a garden. That was the other thing. I can say, this is what I'm growing. You can find the seeds here. And actually it's for whatever, well, I know for the reason, but it's hard to find seeds nowadays. It's a little bit harder to get stuff because the demand has gotten so high. Yeah, Gary, it's hilarious. I'm, I'm holding in my hand right now some of that clarified hydrophobic extract of neem oil that I got from <laughs> Home Depot the other day. And I was hoping it would be helpful, but you know, I live basically in the forest right outside of a city and, and you know, the, the insects just chew right through everything. So I'm going to need something a little bit stronger. Yeah. You, you definitely want the hundred percent cold pressed neem oil. I don't know why they can sell, you know, as a hydrophobic extract. Yeah. I mean, one final plug for neem oil is that, uh, I was, um, I was actually having a huge problem with fruit flies in uh, my duplex because, or actually, I guess you would call them um, fungus gnats. Uh, I don't know why I call them fruit gnat, fruit flies. But um, yeah, I was, I was seed starting some peppers and tomatoes this year. And, you know, it, it was just, they were, they were all over my house. And, you know, if I spray the plant directly, that's fine. They're not going to chew into the plant or, or, you know, the seedling, but they're, they're still going to stay alive. So um, I just found that your recommendation of spraying the neem oil you know, on the edges of the containers and on the bottoms and just kind of making sure that there's no, no, you know, leaf unturned. That, that really right. doesn't work. It really, even, even with the, like, even with the diluted stuff that, that right. we're talking about, it really did help me. It, it works, right. And you, and I would say like the whole goal is like, you know, that's why I was kind of thinking about the mosquitoes. Like, you'll, they'll never be able to get rid of mosquitoes. You'll never be able to get rid of the caterpillars that chew, because some of them we want. You'll never be able to get rid of the problems, but you can really manage the problems down in your garden so that they exist, but you still get a great harvest. And it's not always a goal to have the perfect healthy plant. It's to have a healthy plant that really produces for you. And when that plant gets too beat up, you replace it with something new. And, you know, that's part of you know, kind of what I've learned over the years is you just continually manage problems down and then you replace, you know, plants that you can't, you can't save any longer. People get really attached to them. Like, you know, I still feel terrible pulling a seedling out that I don't need and discarding it and stuff like that, or pulling a plant out prematurely, but you, you got to do it. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's, it's especially difficult um, for for people in the Southeast, I mean, I, I'm pretty naive when it comes to soil types. And one of the things I have struggled with is the red clay here. And it, I uh -huh. guess the root structure just doesn't, it doesn't want to grow. It's, it's hard even to dig through it. So um, I, I just uh, more of like a personal question, which you have covered, I believe, in at least one comment section. But, you know, sure. what about the feasibility of mixing in high quality topsoil with red clay or with those denser, uh, moister soils? Uh, do you think you should just go ahead and, and, and build a raised bed with, with high quality topsoil? Or do you think, do you think you can mix effectively an effective amount of good topsoil and with red clay and have some good growth? So you, there's, 
The answer is yes, yes, and yes. And the reason I say that is because there, there's so many ways to do it. Are you familiar with the uh, no dig gardens by chance? What a no dig garden is? No, but we'd like to. Okay. So yeah, so um, Charles, I think his last name is Dowding, Charles Dowding. He has a really big YouTube channel and he's out from England and he's uh, older than I am. And he pretty much lays cardboard down on whatever earth you have and then, you know, four to six inches of compost. And that's all he does. He plants directly into that. He, he talks about letting the worms come up, get in, loosen up your soil and stuff like that, which happens over time. So it's one approach that you can do. So when you have hard clay soil, as long as you have weeds and, and grass, or you have you know some sort of life in there, you can begin to build on top of that and the earthworms will find their way in. And over the years, it will loosen up more and more. Now you can kind of do a combination of what you said. Like if you want to do a raised bed, maybe with, let's just say eight or 10 inch sides, you know, the easiest way to go is just grab some lumber at Home Depot or, or whatever is available and make a rectangle. Um, you can then, you know, just sink your shovel in, break up the red clay, you know, put in some compost if you have it. Everyone always says use compost, but it's not that easy to get quality compost and it's not that easy to make. So I don't like saying just go get compost and that'll fix everything. But you can break up the red clay, you can put in um, some garden soil, maybe you get it at the store from a landscape place and just kind of loosen it up, but then put your good stuff on top of there. You can get a combination of garden soil from your local landscape companies. That's usually cheaper if you need to get a lot or you can kind of go and look for what's on sale at the big bags uh, or at the big box stores, which is a whole other thing. It's like when you walk in there, you see all these different kind of bag soils um, and it's really the most expensive way to fill your garden. And you know, there's a little bit of commercialism going on there too, where you can get ripped off pretty easy. Yeah. Just a, yeah, just a brief follow-up. I mean, a game changer for me, I think I watched that video, I've probably watched the video where you went down to Tennessee and built that garden, I think, at your son's place. I've probably watched that video two or three times over the years. And uh, I think that's where you introduced the idea of, you know, if you have a very finite amount of high quality potting soil, you can focus that around the plants that need the most nutrients. And I, I think I have just kind of built this heuristic in my mind of just, uh, you know, focusing the highest quality soil that I have on hand toward the most, you know, needy plants. And, and, and that's saved me tons of money. Absolutely. Yeah, that will save you a lot of money. And it's a good strategy too. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's just really any plant. It's like just prep the planting hole 12 inches down, throw in the quality soil that you can find. Um, if you've got good manure and good uh, compost, throw some of that in, throw in a handful of the granular fertilizer. It doesn't necessarily matter exactly what you're using, but like you're saying is concentrated around the planting area. The plant will develop a nice root system and plants have been growing for millions of years. So they're going to figure out how to send out their surface roots. They're going to figure out how to get into the clay soil and they're going to be able to survive. And you've given them enough on a budget to be able to thrive and produce for you. Gary, um, can we just ask you, do you have any plans? for you know for your land you know for the rest of the year i mean you recently on your youtube channel there's a there's a there's even a cameraman involved in this this tour of your garden um uh and and you 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 mentioned a couple of couple of ambitions do you have any plans of you know i mean things are pretty expansive already and we'll we'll see when you know berries and so on 
come to fruition, but do you have any plans for, um, you know, expansion of some sort? So I don't have any specific plans right now. Um, we have the smallest community association ever. I thought we didn't have one, but my house is like on the corner of the land and I'm allowed to have horses, but according to the, to the uh, community association, I can't have chickens or goats. So I'm going to fight that and I hope to bring in some goats and some chickens. I also have a little bit of uh, acreage that's all wooded. I want to get some, hire in some goats to clean that all out and figure out how to plant that with uh, mushrooms and kind of other um, edible plants that can grow in there. But I'm not sure when that will be. Um, right now, I've got in fruit trees and all that kind of stuff in my garden. So that's kind of keeping me busy trying to figure out, you know, kind of the routine to manage that. But I think chickens would be great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely fascinating. I just heard you say, you know, cleaning up areas with goats. It wasn't until recently that I knew you could just hire out goats. I think I was just, I heard some noise from my neighbors at, you know, two in the morning and I looked out and there was just a herd of goats and chicken wire. Just, and, and I think that with areas that are just too far gone, it's, it's, it's an awesome idea, even though I, I had only just recently learned about it. That's funny. So you, you woke up to the goat sounds. Yeah. And then, and then they had these, I, I, I don't know, they were, they were basically, you know, shepherds that the, the dogs were basically the management and uh, they would make sure that the goats didn't get into any mischief. And it was just one of the most adorable things I'd seen. Yeah, I, that's why I'm, I'm going to figure out how to do that because I think that would be cool. And then inside that, that space, I want to build some sort of a, sort of a log cabin. I want to try and, you know, build, you know, a simple structure, you know, for the grandkids to come and be able to camp in and that kind of stuff, you know, but I'm trying to really take, you know, part of the homestead um, that I try and create here is a place for people to meet, which you were talking about a little bit more about more of the community and the communal aspect of, I think, are, are things I think we lost in our society. You know, you may live in an apartment building, you're in a city, you don't know your neighbor, and people spend 10, 20, 30 years isolated with people all around them. Um, and part of my move at an older age was to really create a place for family and friends to gather. And so where we can just hang out and, you know, whatever, spend the day. Yeah, this is this is something that I've harped on even on this podcast. And it it just, it, it blows my mind, even though I've, I've had these antisocial tendencies just because of, you know, growing up with a screen, you know, not my entire life, but, you know, in my teenage years that the screens were hurled at us, you know, more, more so than ever uh, before. And I just realized, you know, if, if I can't knock on my neighbor's door and ask for a spice that I'm missing for something that I'm cooking, I mean, what's, what's really the point of living in a, in a society where we're cooperating because we've lost the most granular, obvious uh, unit of cooperation. And that, that's one of the reasons why we were excited to talk to you is because, you know, it seems like your voice is one that could really inspire people to, to, to get back to the sincere roots of, you know, home as a unit of production, uh, you know, cooking as collaboration. And like these, these all, it seems like all the ancient right. human interests and survival mechanisms and proclivities are geared toward pro-social attitudes, you know? Right. 
Well, and I think because it's worked for the centuries and we kind of lose track of it in society. You know, um, I agree with you 100 uh, percent. We have to just be careful that we don't fall into. You know, you work and then you fit everything in around your job, you know, and that's kind of I think where we progress to as a society as a whole. You should be able to go to your neighbor knock on the door and not only grab a spice, but go in and hang out for 15 minutes and, mm. you know, see mm. what's going on. Um, or have a, a communal space if there's apartments, you know, in that apartment where people can go and hang out, you know, in an open area or something like that. Um, or have a group cooking area. I mean, stuff that has been done all over the world and has been done in, in America a long time ago, we need to, I think, get back to that. You know, there's nothing like wasting 10 years of your life working and then you look back and say what have i accomplished you know of course paying the bills is important of course saving money is important but you got to have contact with people yeah i mean i i just want to bounce this off of you because we've we have talked a lot on this podcast about work in the past and and how to rethink the workplace how to rethink productivity personal productivity and maybe you know bring back some of your some of your creative energy to your to your private life there's this huge trend right now of making the workspace more collegial mm -hmm. but at the same time eliminating the division between work and life and then you know I, I can't seem to escape i mean i work in i work in software and i can't seem to escape the the pull to work 70 80 hours a week and that really does just blot out the rest of your time and it, it, it seems like we need to make a decision in the modern workplace. Is there going to be a division between work and life? And if there's not, how are we going to mitigate the consequences of, you know, relationship loss, community loss, physical and mental health loss? And, you know, this is just, I mean, right. what, whatever you think about this, I'd love to hear it because this is a huge topic for us. Yeah. I mean, so it's real. And that, that's the thing is like, you know, um, when I say you look back 10 years, I'm not saying you wasted your time, um, but you lost time building relationships and building memories and strengthening friendships or finding someone, you know, to marry and raise a family with. Now, if you are working 60, 70, 80 hours and you enjoy your job, that's one thing. If you're miserable, that's another thing. So it also starts with, do you like your job? And if it's good enough, okay, good. Um, but then people struggle with really figuring out how to work around, like you're saying, like, I'm going to get up at 6am, not to rush and get back on the computer and start working. And then I'm going to work all the way up to lunch, wolf something down, work again, figure out where I'm going to grab dinner, you know, maybe I'll order out, or I'll meet up with somebody real quick, but then I got to get back and finish up something and answer emails. That becomes such a normal pattern for us that we think that it's normal, I guess is a point when I is that just because you're doing something over and over again and other people are doing it, that doesn't mean it's healthy and that doesn't mean it's normal or normal good. We really have to put it to the front of our head that I need to work, I need to pay bills, I need to have a career, but I need to take time to wake up more slowly, maybe do yoga, maybe exercise, eat a good breakfast, see what's going on, then I go to work. I don't know if that makes sense, but a lot of other cultures have breaks and work less hours. We just kind of fell into this, you know, I think massive work week and, 
you know, getting beyond 40 hours, going to 60, 70, 80 hours. But you treat it as normal. And then you look back and you're like, wow, 20 years are gone. You know, what, what have I been doing? Yeah, and the, and the repetitive nature of it all has this time compression factor. So, you know, it, at least at least in my own life, I mean, the, the years really speed up when every day looks the same. And I also wanted to say, you know, now I'm just spitballing yeah. ideas about, you know, the the current work culture and the, and, and how maybe we could, right. you know, integrate gardening and, and, and pro-social activities at the home to become normative again, you right. know. It, it's it's strange when you are in an environment where there are authority figures who take advantage of you. If the norms of the workplace become that 60, 70, 80 hours, it's kind of like a race to the bottom because right. there has to be a coordination of pushback from, from the employees to, to say, hey, you know, we, we, we have lives outside of work. But, you know, if it's just one person who's doing that right. or, you know, a handful of people who are doing that, they're just going to be punished. And it's not even that I don't even think that it's any ill will or some sort of conspiracy, you know, uh, you know, labor versus, you know, management. But it's just this natural process that you end up getting at that equilibrium. And I just I think it's just really important to figure out ways of of walking that back without, you know, risking your job or, you know, risking your house. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like if a bunch of, say, you know, equal position people are hanging out and they're all saying to you they're not happy and they want something and you decide because you're passionate about this to speak up and you speak up and you're just kind of left like a sheet hanging in the wind. Nobody backs you up. It does have to be a uniformed voice if it's coming from the bottom, but also finding a place to work where it's coming from the top down and they're not only asking what do you need to have, you know, better morale or better health. They're not just going, giving you lip service. They're actually trying to implement it. And sometimes you have to make hard decisions and, you know, speak your voice. If you're heard and you see change, that's great. If not, sometimes you have to leave. Um, it's not that easy. I'm not saying you just go quit your job and grow a garden. Um, it doesn't work that way. Like my wife and I have both worked, um, for the last 30 years and we both worked while we raised kids. So I certainly, you know, put in my time, you know, the garden can be used. And I guess to answer your question, maybe, uh, you know, from a different perspective, but say you are working 60 hours a week, um, try and get it onto a schedule. I mean, as crazy as it sounds like, you know, whatever, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're, you're killing it with tons of hours. Thursday, is a, is, a, is a day off. Or when your day ends, you come back to the garden. Um, before you come into the house, you walk through the garden, you look to see what's going on. You, you really have to move making change to the front of your head, or you're just going to be stuck in that old routine. You know, you're going to have the voices of your boss, you know, trying to have you compete with everybody else you know, so to speak, you know, you have to kind of push the new voice forward. That's part of like what I was talking about, you know, um, not in my book, but also in my videos, is that when you're changing your perspective, it starts with you. And when you're changing your perspective on how you use your homestead or how you use your home or how you build your garden, you have to start getting confident that what you're doing is okay, you know, and you're doing it for yourself. And you'll find, I mean, there's millions if not billions of people that love to garden so very quickly you'll find support for what you're doing um but you got to kind of force that change just you know it's 
sounds like you recognize it's needed. You can see it in the workplace. Um, it's just kind of figuring out, you know, do you have the energy to change an entire workplace? Or more importantly, do you have a workplace that listens to you? Yeah, I mean, Gary, I think that these are the types of conversations that we try to have on the show. I mean, we try to start with someone's creative work, in your case, gardening, uh, in our prior episodes. A lot, it, it's a lot of music-based um, conversations with musicians and, and producers. And, you know, then it migrates to something extremely broad like this, uh, which is kind of where we put the thumb on the scale and start to discuss the areas of interest and the, the themes that, you know, connect each disparate podcast that we have. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that we got to this point and it makes me think about, you know, maybe if, if you'd be so kind as to come on some other time, maybe we could just, I feel like there's so much more to say sure. around integrating gardening into uh, a, a holistic pro-social, pro-human life. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words, but, you know, these are the types of conversations yeah. that we're really trying to have and I'm glad we got here. But as we're, as we're coming up to the end of the hour, um, I'm wondering if if you have any uh, parting words mm -hmm. on the one hand, and also if you could share with our listeners a your book that's about to come out, which or I, it has come out, right? It's already out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm behind. It is out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know the, the the book and um, where they can find you online because I think that you are one of the one of the if not hidden underappreciated gems on the internet. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I'd be glad to come uh, back on. I love talking about the garden and it really does blend what I love about the garden with the mental health work that I do. And I mean, just like real quick, the you asked me about the mindfulness videos and the mental health videos. One of the biggest things that human beings need is structure and routine. And we're responsible for setting up our own structure and routine. And some things we can't change, obviously, like work hours or something, but we can start changing the time around that. And for instance, you know, I was saying how hot it's been here. If I was stuck in an office, I don't even know how hot it is outside. Like I can tell you what the temperatures have been for the last three weeks when it rained and all that kind of stuff. Just being able to get out and be in the environment and be in the garden makes such a big difference for people. And I think part of what I'll be talking about a lot is structure and routine. How do you develop a healthy structure and routine? And I'd be glad to talk about that in the future episodes of um, your future podcasts, if you, if you want. The, um, yeah, I can be found on YouTube, on Instagram, under the Rusted Garden, and it's uh, R-U-S-T-E-D. I kind of picked the wrong name. People think it's the Rustic Garden, but it's the Rusted Garden. And it's because I have a habit of just dropping my tools and clippers wherever I'm at and, you know, Three days later, they're rusted, and my wife's saying, you know, why did you buy those if you're just going to leave them out there and, and rust away? <laughs> but that's how the name came to be. The book that I just wrote is on Amazon. It's up for pre-sale um, now. It's not going to be out till February 6th, um, and it's called The Modern Homestead Garden, and it's really about helping people just getting started kind of progress to that mindset like we've been talking about, you know, the basics of what do you need to know to pick the right place to start your garden, there's a lot on there about seed starting. So it really gets you started and helps you kind of say, hey, you know what? I want a different perspective in life. And that's why I came up with it, with the title being The Modern Homestead Garden, because you don't have to go off grid. You don't have to do everything. You can just start changing your perspective. Um, you know, I guess technically the title is The Modern Homestead Garden, um, How to Improve Self-Sufficiency in Any Size Backyard. Mm -hmm. So it also gives you that teaching point of how to, you know, rely mm -hmm. on yourself more, which... 
you know, I'm very happy about. Well, Gary, thank you so much. The, how you present yourself in the videos is no lie. You know, your work is truly inspiring. Um, and we appreciate, you know, your, your holistic interest in, in, in the human person and in community. Um, we will, uh, we'll be sure to, uh, keep you in touch, uh, with future episodes, uh, keep you abreast on, uh, all things RN as we of course are, uh, excited about, um, the future of your channel and the future of your seed shop and the future of just, hopefully you get those goats. Hopefully you get those chickens. Yeah, I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, well, thank you so much. You take care. Um, We'll, uh, we'll be in touch, all right? Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. As always, it would mean the world to us if you would rate, review, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we hope you'll stay in the loop and recommend future guests through Twitter at PeoplePod2. We are also now building upon our new website, peoplepod.org, which will provide deeper context on our prior podcasts, information on guests and topics we've covered, and a tab where you can donate to the podcast. We do finance the podcast through small donations from our listeners, so we're grateful for every penny you send our way. With that, I hope you have a great day or night, and we hope you'll join us next time on People.